This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It was a game that included one of the best individual defensive performances you will ever see. Uh, JT, uh, I'm going to get this right. Tui Molo Ow, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to have him on today. I'm going to have to say his name many times. Tui Molo Ow was absolutely fabulous. Um, the game was somewhat uneven, I think, from Ohio State. What did you guys take away from it? Yeah, I mean, that was my main takeaway was, you know, when coaches talk about the fourth quarter and mm-hmm. needing to be ready and play through that mentally, physically, be ready for that. That's what this was because that's when Ohio State pulled away. And, and it, fe- it felt like it was actually something that a lot of the top teams that we saw, even outside of the Big Ten, mm-hmm. it, it, it was kind of these tests where they were pushed and they were pushed and they were pushed. But then they pulled away at the end because they were the better team. But Ohio State really did that. Like, they, they showed at the end of the game that they were the superior team. That they could close it out. And then be able to show it with defense – to me, it's something we really haven't seen all year. Obviously, they had a good defensive performance last week, but the talent was a different story. But this was a performance. You talked about the individual performance was outstanding. They needed that. But I think they got, what, 20, 21 points off turnovers, off the four turnovers. Um, so when they're playing that way, and then you think about what they can do offensively, you know, they struggled a little bit running the football. That, that's been a reoccurring theme the last it's like couple of weeks. week, Howard. Yeah. yeah. That's been a reoccurring thing. Iowa, I think, uh, set the mold of the game plan for it, and I thought that Penn State just continued to play with that. And, you know, as well as they played, to me, I walk away from this game thinking that Penn State is just so much better. Uh, I had an idea of where Penn State was. Uh, I thought there was a big gap. I didn't necessarily see that gap. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was when they played against Michigan, which is a good thing if you're a Penn State fan. But it's also frustrating because they had them in a situation where what happens if they don't turn the ball over four times, right? And I know we're talking about Ohio State and just how good they are, but to me it goes back to Penn State because they had opportunities. And this is what happens in those games to Penn State. Well, and it was it was really impressive, too, because of what we saw Michigan's run game do to Penn State. And so then you hold them yep. to under 100 rushing yards, 3.8 yards per carry. And it, it was like this was the Penn State, this is the ceiling of that defense and what they could do, the pressure that they were putting on C.J. Stroud, which again was something that Iowa did. You, you just saw so much of that working. Um, Mayan Williams' injury obviously also impacts the run game too, but it just feels like this is something that Penn State could have, you, you could have seen different outcomes in, in, in that Michigan game or some of these other areas mm-hmm. if you had that defensive intensity and performance. Yeah. Well, one thing that's interesting, and you mentioned it, I mean, under 100 yards rushing, for Ohio State, and they got 41 on one play from Travion Henderson. Mm-hmm. So kind of aside from that, I mean, they really couldn't run the ball, very similar to what we saw the previous week against Iowa where they averaged right around two yards a carry. 
Joshua made this point early in the week. I'm interested in, in your guys' take on it. He was saying he thinks Penn State is just better constructed oh. to play Ohio State. And, and we saw, like, the athleticism of Penn State's defense, I thought, really showed up because the early plan for Ohio State was these quick passes out onto the flank and you get your athletes in space and you feel like, well, we'll just beat them that way. And that wasn't working, Howard, because Penn State's tackling was superb. They did not get out-athleted at all. Yep. On the flank, they were every bit as athletic as Ohio State was out there. Then it became they worked the middle of the field better right. in, in the second half. But is it just a case that Penn State's kind of athleticism on defense is a better answer for what Ohio State does than, than it is for what Michigan does? I think so. And one of the things that happens, you go back to the Auburn game for Penn State, right? Auburn tried that stuff too. Like, get it out quick. It didn't matter. Penn State's defense looked unbelievable when you talk about the speed and the athleticism. But then you saw them against Michigan, and all of a sudden, that same athleticism all of a sudden looked slow, right, because of the way they were playing. And Coach Franklin came out at the, right in one of the first things, his comments in postgame was the line of scrimmage. We got killed. We got beat up on the line of scrimmage. But to me, I thought the line of scrimmage played much better. But you're right. They're so physical outside. They're able to defeat the plays. And, and you're talking about tight ends, big physical tight ends going against corners. Now, these corners at Penn State are, are physical as well, but um, they couldn't make the blocks. They could not make the blocks. And what you saw was Penn State's secondary and linebackers take the fight to Ohio State when they wanted to play outside. Yeah, and we've talked about some of the differences, too, with the Michigan and the, and the way that they try to run the ball and just, like, kind of bully you at the line of scrimmage. Right. Like, that is a little bit different than what Ohio State tries to do with their run game, which, which we saw Penn State was effective against. And so I thought that was pretty remarkable. I mean, we've been wanting to see Ohio State tested, and I think that was one of my main takeaways, that we saw them pushed, yeah. and they responded, mm -hmm. and they won the game. And, and this is their best win of the season for that reason. I think when you can score four touchdowns in the last nine minutes of a game, I mean, it does show you they were put in that position, to your point, where they had to do that, and they were able to do it. And you're going to – I mean, Penn State's a good team. I think that's yeah. the, the point all three of us right. are making here. This is a good team. I understand that maybe in some people's eyes, after that Michigan game, people questioned how good they were. They are good enough to, as you yeah. said, go down to Auburn and, and absolutely hand it to them. They've – manhandled some Big Ten opponents to this point. So they're really good. You're going to get pressed and pushed by good teams, especially on the road. Absolutely. And Ohio State responded in really impressive fashion when they yeah. need to. It's a mark of a good team. It is. And, and the flip side, too, for Penn State, at least in, in something that I'm thinking about, is Sean Clifford's mistakes again. I mean, it, it feels like th that's cost them in a number of games over the course of his career. You, you don't think of that when you think, okay, six-year quarterback. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're not thinking, okay, we're going to have – you know, these turnovers that are going to cost us, put us in bad positions. But if you take away those turnovers, it's a different game. That's, and those uh, mistakes cost them. And they have over the course of Sean Clifford's career. So I think that's what's really frustrating, the three interceptions when you look at this game as a Penn State fan. Yeah, because you look and you say, okay, well, it's Ohio State and Michigan, right? Right now, at least for the last couple of years, I mean, they're two of the best programs in all of college football. So there's no great shame in losing to those teams. And when someone throws – Coach Franklin's top five record out uh, against top five opponents. I mean, there, there's no great shame in that. But I think you can go to those games just like we did last week and you can say, we don't turn the ball over here. We don't turn the ball over here. We give them a short field. They score a touchdown. Um, we get out misaligned and they pop. They get the run outside. Goes for a touchdown, their longest run of the day. 
there are things that there that they can create uh, correct, and that's where they have to hang their hat. But fans today and people that are are going to be critical of what Coach Franklin does as a coach point to these games. Right. So I think there's there's kind of two ways that you lose games, right? You you either play a close game and you just fall short or you get outclassed. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're saying is Penn State isn't really outclassed. They maybe they were outclassed a little bit by Michigan, right? Or certainly didn't look like they were at the same level. They yep. looked like they were at the same level of Ohio yes. State. And by and large, they have looked like they are at the same level as top 10 teams. They just haven't beaten them. I mean, they've right. lost 11 straight against top 10 teams. I think if you're a fan, you kind of throw up your hands after mm-hmm. a while and say, okay, well, if you're going to tell me you're on the same level, at some point, yes. you ought to be able to beat them. And I don't think anyone would back away from that assertion in state college. I mean, they believe that they should be at that level. They've recruited at a close to that level. They've Certainly Ohio State's recruited mm-hmm. at a higher level than everyone else, but they've been right there with Michigan and many times rated ahead of them. At some point, they're going to have to start winning these games. But yes, but it doesn't mean that yeah, so what was it, it doesn't mean that it's not in the realm of possibility. Was it a year ago or maybe two years ago? Yes. Coach Franklin talked about we're not that elite yep. program yes. Yep. yet. Yes. Yeah. And that's what this is. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what, what that's this conversation difference. is. Yeah, that's yeah. the conversation. Uh, let's move on to the other big game in the East this weekend, Michigan, Michigan State. Ugly incident at the end of that game, and we will get to that in just a moment. But but I do want to talk about the game. Uh, To me, Howard, it just came down to the line of scrimmage. I think we came into it on Saturday saying it felt like a line of scrimmage mismatch, Mm -hmm. and that's what it was at the end of the day. No doubt about it. We continue to talk about this offensive line. You continue to talk about what they're able to do defensively at the defensive line position, and and they just go out and really just take over games. And and that's really been impressive that they've been able to do it. And sure, they can – uh, construct their offense and have it go a couple different ways when you talk about spreading people out or you're talking about getting tight formations to to really control the line of scrimmage. They do it all. And, and J.J.'s just continuing to get better as the season continues to progress. And he's going to continue to become a big part of what they need to do offensively as far as the run game is concerned. The pass game, I don't really worry about. I know the issue of whether or not they're going deep yeah. enough is there. But that that's not as concerning to me as – him being a part of the run game, and now all of a sudden they need to allocate someone that needs to try to to stick with him. And I don't know that there are many linebackers that can do that. Well, and, and these what we're talking now about Michigan is is these areas that you're saying, okay, they've been able to win a lot of games. They can beat Michigan State the way that they're doing it now. How are they going to beat Ohio State, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got to continue to stretch and, and grow offensively. When we talk about JJ's run game, or you know, airing the ball out, or just stretching the fields a little bit more vertically. Because what he did in this game was he made a lot of good decisions. You know, there were some passes he'd like to have back mm-hmm. for sure, but he's not costing them games. He's not putting Michigan in a bad position. And it felt like, and I want to talk about the red zone struggles as well, yeah. but it felt yes. like Jim Harbaugh was very content to win the game with field goals because he felt that they could control the game, both lines of scrimmage, and get what they needed to do and that they could win it if it was a small margin because he knew what they had defensively. Too. So I think there are two issues when you think about this collision course that it feels like Ohio State and Michigan State are on. I think from Ohio State's point of view, it's the stuff that's come up in the Iowa game and the Penn State game, the inability to run the ball yes. when you need to run the ball. That was the story of last year's game. It was the reason why Michigan beat them. From Michigan's point of view, what you're saying, Nicole, you're not going to be able to beat Ohio State with field goals. You're not. Absolutely. So, so I think both these teams have, if you're the fan base, you're excited. If you're the coaches, you're excited. But yeah. you're also concerned of, hey, we need to figure out an answer for this. 
before that game on Thanksgiving weekend. Well, and, and Ohio State's touchdown rate in the red zone is way higher than Michigan. It's about a 20-point difference. I mean, right. that's, so that's exactly what we're talking about here. And, and Michigan also stalled out right in front of the red zone in this mm -hmm. game as well. You've got a great field goal kicker. It's great. You can beat Michigan State with field goals. You can't beat Ohio State with field goals. And, you know, it was that it felt like the game should have been 42-7, 49-7. That's where, you know, when you're coming out of it and you're looking for areas to improve, you could say that. I'll say this, too. Remember, Ohio State's had to settle for some field goals as well. Maybe not necessarily in the red zone, but they've had to, you know. Had that was the Iowa game. They've had great field position in that yeah. game. So this is a game. You talk about special teams as we look ahead. Special teams is going to be a big part of it. The interesting thing uh, about the red zone, you talk about Michigan, right? Because we have, and Coach Harbaugh said, this is a very unique situation that they have as far as the play callers are concerned. When you get into the red zone, I mean, there's got to be one voice. Hmm. I'm not saying that there are multiple voices. I'm only using his words, yeah. right? So someone's got to be able to take the lead, and it's not necessarily the. You got to have a feel for the game. I believe you have to have a feel to be a play caller. You have to have a feel, and I'm not saying what they're doing isn't working because clearly it is. But to me, when you get into a, an area where, where the space is obviously condensed, you have, still have to have a feel what's going on and one play caller may want this the other wants that and coach Harbaugh wants something different so really as Joshua pointed out said you got three three minds there that are thinking about what needs to be run in the red zone and I'm wondering if that's not one of the the challenges that they're having in the red zone at this moment so they're ninth in the big 10 in red zone touchdown percentage and I think where it's really curious to me is when you think about teams struggling in the red zone, I often think about teams that are passing-based teams, right? Yep. Because Great then point. your space is compressed in the back of the end zone. You just don't have as much room. This is as physical a team as we have in the Big Ten. They have maybe the best offensive line in the country. It's certainly yep. in that discussion. It was honored that way right. last year, and mm -hmm. I think some of us believe it has gotten better. They have a mobile quarterback. I mean, they have all of the things that you would think would lead to success in the red zone, and yet, for whatever reason, hasn't necessarily happened. Do want to get to the incident in the post game, and I'm sure you've seen the video by now. There are a couple videos that are circulating. Michigan State did address it yesterday. Here's what Mel Tucker had to say: Michigan State University football core values include integrity, discipline, unselfishness, toughness, and accountability. After reviewing the disturbing electronic evidence collected to date of the altercations between Michigan State and the University of Michigan student athletes on October 29th, 2022. We are suspending Tank Brown, Kari Crump, Angelo Gross, and Zion Young effective immediately. We are currently working with law enforcement, Michigan State and Michigan campus leadership, and the Big Ten Conference to further evaluate the events in Ann Arbor, including but not limited to additional student-athlete participation in the altercations and contributing factors. The initial student-athlete suspensions will remain in place until the investigations are completed. This was a really ugly incident. I think they're still clearly gathering facts here, and so it's difficult to know exactly uh, the approach to take on it until we, we have all the evidence. But from what we saw, really ugly and uncalled for, Nicole. 
Yeah, there's nothing that's going to deserve what we saw in these videos, someone attacking another person with a helmet as a weapon. So I think that so far everyone seems to appreciate the seriousness of the situation. And as we continue to get these investigations done, I mean, involving the police, the Big Ten commissioner was at the game. I mean, they really escalated it, I think, in the way that it needed to be immediately following the game on Saturday. And and what one thing I come down to is someone phrased it this way, and I thought that this was a really effective way to say it, that we've seen football fights. We know what football fights look like. This was a bar fight. And that's a line that was drawn. And I think that was that was very obvious that this was not okay. I mean, you're in a situation where you could possibly be pressing charges. So this was clearly uncalled for across the line. Um, and I'm glad that people are taking it seriously. Just from what I saw in the videos, right? Charges should be pressed. This is unacceptable, outrageous. I look at it from this perspective. You talk about a boss. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Bar fight. That was the streets on a football field. And it has no place. Because things can get really bad when you start talking about being in the streets and acting like you're in the streets. Because there are some people who would have handled that a lot differently. And it wouldn't have been handled in the tunnel, and it would be it would be taken out of the hands of, let's say, the administrators, and it would be street justice for what I watched. That was problematic. And there's no place for it. Both coaches, both institutions know that. And you can't blame a head coach. You can't blame a tunnel. None of that. I, I understand that when you're running into a tunnel, I've run into many of them, and... and they're heated words that go back and forth. But this was so far over the line that there is, there's no explanation for it. I mean, there are even players on the team. There are even Michigan State players that are looking at it. And you look at them, and they're like, what is really? Is this really happening? I mean, the notion that somehow the tunnel is to blame, and I know we've had a lot of tunnel talk here the last couple weeks. This stadium's 100 years old. Yes. I mean, it's completely absurd. People have been walking through that joint tunnel now for a century, and they're not beating each other over the head with helmets. Yes, I completely agree. And also, there's been a lot of victim blaming around the situation from fans, and I just, it's yeah. not okay. I mean, you, you should be able to be in these environments or situations after a heated game and not have that happen. It to should you. be heated. You should be mad at your rivals, but I think part of what we, the psyche here is when we start talking about hate, right, in a football team, and I'm like, why do you hate this, that team? You shouldn't, right? You have no real reason because when this rivalry started, you weren't even thought about. So why do you really actually hate the person on the other side? I'll say this. Rivalries are great. They're part of what fuels college football. 
but rivalries are to be played out on the field. Yeah. They're fun for fans to go back and forth with one another. But yeah. this is crazy. No, it, it totally crossed the line. We'll hear from both coaches coming up here uh, in the next hour. Illinois just keeps on winning. The Illini now 7-1 and one for the first time since they captured the Big Ten in 2001, beat Nebraska 26-9, holding the Huskers to 29 yards after halftime. Chase Brown over 100 yards for the school record ninth straight time. Continue to lead the nation in scoring D and total D. They are just a really good team. And, and Howard, Nebraska hung for a while. Yeah. It felt like the game really changed when Casey Thompson got hurt and went out. And Nebraska couldn't get anything going offensively in the second half. But, man, Illinois is good. They looked really good. And I talked that morning about Trey Palmer being wide open. He's going to have opportunities, right? One. <laughs> For one yard. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but I, I also said that well, we'll have to see if yeah. Casey will be able to have time to throw it vertically down the field. And, unfortunately, he was banged up in the game. But the pressure that kept coming defensively, you know, you just continue to look at this team like they just keep getting better. They just keep getting better each week. We say it every week, but, like, this is the formula to win the West, and they're in position to do this quite soon, to lock this up pretty soon, right? Two two games? Yes. Two more wins, and they they lock this up. But great running back and a great defense, just a terrific defense. I mean, Nebraska was basically a non-factor offensively in the second half. And it's just – it's so effective when you have a quarterback like Tommy DeVito who does not make mistakes. He set records for the completion percentage. He had 91% in this game. But he is putting them in positions to succeed as well. He is not making mistakes. So it just – it all fits together so well. I think that's what I really like about this Illinois team. Everything complements every other piece of the team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, defense is phenomenal. They've given up three touchdown passes, have 15 interceptions. They lead the nation in just about every defensive category. And and then, yeah, offensively, I mean, you go 20 of 22 – throwing the ball. They're in the top 15 now, first time since 2007. And as you mentioned, Nicole, you look at the Big Ten West standings, and they are very much in the driver's seat. It does come down to this. Were they to win at home against Michigan State and then to beat Purdue the following Saturday, they would wrap up the West. It'd wow. be done for Illinois. Now, Howard might like that. No it, stress? Yeah. For, for sure, yeah. <laughs> now, I think there are a lot of people uh, in, in Champaign who like that. Now, now the flip side of that is – you know, Purdue, if Purdue wins out, Purdue wins the West, too. Like, they're still in the driver's seat. But it just feels like Illinois is so much more consistent of a team than Purdue is. That's the word, consistency. Because you don't know what Purdue team you're going to get. They'll, one week, they'll play really lights out on the defensive side. They'll score a bunch of points. And then the next week, they all of a sudden disappear. And they, they make a lot of mistakes. But right now, this Illinois team is playing just with that consistency. And we just don't know what you're going to get from Purdue. Well, and that's what I think was so impressive about the way that they won this game was it just felt like they handled their business. It felt like they did what they were supposed to. There was no drama about it. wasn't in question. Right. Just a mature team. And, and Brett Bielema had them ready for this game. And I think that was one of our concerns yes. when we talked on Saturday. Yep. We said, hey, they've had the week off. They got everyone patting them <laughs> on the back. And telling them how great they are. And Brett, he just knows the right buttons to push, it feels like, in terms of this team. He said publicly how much he likes this group, Mm -hmm. and and you can see why. You see the schedule coming up. I mean, again, that's a really tough game at Michigan. It's irrelevant to winning the West for them. I mean, the Purdue game is the game in terms of getting to the Big Ten championship game. I'm not saying they can't go to Michigan and 
give them a good game and yeah. maybe even win. But when you look at that and you say, well, they still have Michigan, it doesn't matter if right. your goal is yeah. gets the, the championship. The interesting thing about this is this is going to be an unbelievable matchup between coordinators and head coaches in this Illinois-Purdue game when, yeah. when they get there. This is going to be an interesting matchup because both – do a tremendous job of putting their players in the right position. By the way, you want to talk about how big a surprise this is with Illinois. And I think we knew they were going to be good when, when yeah. we saw them in camp. But, but, but just play. in terms of where they have been, if they beat Michigan State, they will end an 11-year streak of losing seasons in conference wow. play. Yeah. 11 years. We're I the, mean, they've been so far off the radar. Yeah. And we're at the point now where if you're an Illinois fan, you can book that hotel room in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're worried about jinxing yourself, maybe, but maybe don't Most do hotel rooms are refundable. That, yeah, that's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah. You could always change it, but we're there. Here's the challenge, right? See, yeah. I have to learn how to act now. Here's <laughs> <laughs> the handle you success. Figure out how you to have balance to handle, it. handle yeah. success. Really I've got to talk with you. i got to talk with Joshua to figure this thing out. <laughs> a big stat presented by Gatorade. There are great games, and then there is what JT Tuimolo did Saturday against Penn State. Had a hand in all four Nittany Lion turnovers. He is the first player this century to have at least two sacks, two picks, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery in the same game. One of the truly fabulous defensive performances in recent memory. And he joins us now for today's big interview. Uh, JT, congratulations. There has been so much talk of your potential. And we have seen kind of hints of it here and there on the field. But what did it mean to you to have this breakout performance and really show the world what you can do? Uh, I mean, it was a true blessing uh, before the game. Um, I always say a quick little prayer, and, uh, you know, I, I give all the glory to God. You know, without, without him and my family, I wouldn't be here today. So to have the performance I did Saturday, it was, uh, you know, it, it meant a lot to me. Take us through that last play. To me, like, you had had an unbelievable game. But that last play, the interception pick six, was kind of next level. So take me through kind of what's going through your mind as the play unfolds. Uh, I came in, I came into the play late, and uh, you know I asked my brother Teron what the play was. He told me, uh, "Hey, just get off the rock." And uh, after there, after that, I just you know I seen uh, I seen the quarterback throw the ball, and I was like, "Man, I think I think I can get it." And, and uh, yeah, that, that's what happened. Well, you got it. Uh, amazingly, I learned after the game, you hadn't picked off a pass since your sophomore year of high school, and now you intercept yes, two in, in one game, including one that goes for a pick six. What happened? Like, how, how do you go from you haven't picked one off, even as a dominant high school player, to getting two on a huge stage like this? Uh, I mean, like I always say, you know, it's preparation. Uh, big shout-out to Coach Knowles and – you know, in practice, I, I was picking picking some things off, and you know, I told I told uh, my D line unit, you know, the rushman, I, I said, I mean, I think th I think I can get one this Saturday. So, yeah, I mean, it unfolded on Saturday. <laughs> you mentioned Jim Knowles. How have things changed for this defense with him in charge? Oh, great! You know, Jim Knowles brings us a, a different kind of energy. Uh, you know, always uh, allows us to play reckless and free, and. Uh, you know, with somebody leading the pack like that, you know, you can always count on him. And, I mean, it, it shows. It shows this whole season. JC, how much pressure is there on this team to be perfect? I mean, it was interesting to listen to Ryan Day in the post-game news conference, and he's almost apologizing or kind of forced to apologize 
for their performance and then just saying, hey, look, you know, it's hard to win and we're playing a top 15 opponent on the road and, and this is kind of what it looks like. It, it, do you feel pressure on you guys, not just to win, but to win in kind of a certain sort of way? Uh, yeah, totally. I think there's always something we have to prove and always get better on. And, uh, you know, I think our team it does a great job holding each other accountable, you know, coaches and players, everybody in the staff. Uh, just holding each other accountable of what Buckeye ball looks like and just, you know, come out and play, play our best ability every day. So how does that win feel to you as, as you come out of winning in a hostile environment against a top 15 team? What's your takeaway on the way you guys played? Man, it was great. You know, great atmosphere, great team. You know, it was a battle. It was an all-four-quarter battle. So, you know, to come out there with, with a win, you know, it's a true blessing and honor. And uh, now we just got to go to the, the film room, see what we have to work on, and, and go from there. Tell us a little bit about your recruitment. You were, according to some services, the number one player at any position in your class. You came to football a little bit late, though. I, you were a basketball player and a baseball player before you were a, a football player. How do you think playing those other sports helped you in football? Uh, it helped me a lot, you know, in football. Uh, it wasn't just high school football. It was a uh, it was set on seven, so allowing me to, you know, drop back in coverage sometimes and play middle linebacker during summer seven and, you know, AAU uh, playing the AYBL circuit, you know, allows me to, you know, react and move quick on my feet as, as big as I am. And, you know, all those play play a part. And, you know, I'm truly blessed and honored that I got to play those, those sports growing up. You started to play, really started to get some buzz, I should say, in football in ninth grade. You got an offer from Washington after you had played like three games in high school. <laughs> And then we're very much in the spotlight. And again, I mentioned, I mean, considered by some to be the best player in your class, regardless of position. What was it like to be in the spotlight kind of incessantly from age 14? Uh, it was a true blessing. But, uh, you know, I, big shout out to my, my family and parents for uh, always keeping me uh, humbled and uh, close to the ground. Um, growing up, I didn't really have social media on my phone. My parents were handling all of it. And so... Uh, you know, my main morals were uh, family, God, sports, and, and uh, let everything take care of itself. And, you know, a big shout-out to them for, for helping me. You ultimately decided on Ohio State. I know your high school teammate, G. Scott, went to Ohio State as well. Mm -hmm. Coming from Seattle, to what extent did that influence you, that you would have a familiar face there? Uh, you know, it played a part. You know, having someone I know personally uh, be at the school and you know, just get a little bit more insight as well as a – Emeka, you know, we, we grew up playing with each other and with each other. So, you know, that, that allowed me to have other eyes and, you know, other people to talk to of how they felt, you know, coming from a long ways. You committed very late in the process, not until right around the 4th of July before you arrived on campus. So after your, your senior year, why did you wait so long? Uh, you know, COVID played a big part. Um, you know, I wasn't able to take my four, my four to five visits and, uh, you know, one thing my family sat down, you know, so um, I just felt like it was right for me to have, uh, you know, my visits and and not make a make a decision on a blind eye. And so, you know, when the opportunity came around, we we were quick to jump on it. I mentioned how good a basketball player you were as well. I mean, you had power five basketball offers. There was some talk right after you committed that you would play for Chris Holtman and play basketball. To what extent have you had conversations with him? about the possibility of getting out there oh yeah we we talked when i first came out here you know uh coach roman's still my guy 
And uh, yeah, when I first came in, I was really uh, I was really thinking about playing both sports. But I think how late I came in, you know, I just I turned my focus to have a you know my first full off season this past year or this past off season with uh, Coach Mick. And uh, yeah, we we just said, hey, you know, we're gonna we're gonna go with football. So have you completely abandoned the notion of playing basketball then for the Bucks? It sounds like you have. Uh, yeah, but no, the basketball love hasn't left me. I still okay. go hoop at the uh, at the record center, you know, make sure I still have it or, you know, go go before uh, practices and put up some shots, make sure it's still there. And, uh, and yeah. <laughs> How does your game stack up? I mean, I know Paulo Boncaro you grew up with, right? I've seen you kind of exchange mm-hmm. some uh, some messages with him on, on social media. So how, how do you stack up with these Ohio State players or with Paulo or some of those other guys? Uh, I think I can hold my own, you know, uh, playing with Paulo. You know, uh, you know, that's my boy. We grew up rivals and, and then ended up playing with each other since a young age. And, uh, you know, it was a great battle all the time. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think I can hold my own, you know, for the most part. But, uh, you know, we still got a great team, too. I'm guessing you saw LeBron tweeting about you. What was that? Uh, what was the feeling when you saw that? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, I called my mom right after the game. I got to the uh, got to the locker room. I called her right there and then, and uh, I seen it, and it didn't really hit me. Uh, I was still just telling my mom, I was like, "Hey, mom, I, I got a pick," and uh, she was letting me know I did much more. And then when I seen that tweet, it didn't hit me till the next day. I was like, "Man, you know, LeBron really." really said my name in the tweet so that that was a that was a moment I'll never forget it's crazy right I mean you you, you yeah. there's a guy you grew up idolizing and and there he is talking about you it pretty cool stuff hey I, I read an article about you from back when you were in high school that your career aspirations were either to be a chef or be a doctor so I know mm-hmm. you're probably going to do this football thing for as long as you can but are, are you still weighing those options are kind of a an unlikely combination yeah, I'm still weighing them, uh, you know, still taking my time to see what I want to do, you know, because I always feel like, you know, there's a plan A, you know, football is now, but, the, you know, it's, ne- it's not going to last for a long time, so you need to have a plan A ahead. What do you like to cook? What kind of chef are you? Uh, I was on, I took, my, I took my mom's route, you know, baking, you know, brownies, simple stuff. Uh, but, yeah, I took her route. You know, dad still got the grill on, on point, so I still got to <laughs> learn from him. <laughs> All right. Well, you got plenty of time. I do want to ask you, I saw you're involved in the Lindsay Infante Foundation, uh, kind of an NIL opportunity, but really giving back to the mm-hmm. community as well. Fill people in on that and what that has meant to you. Man, it's, you know, it means a lot. You know, coming back from, uh, from Washington, you know, big shout out to, uh, you know, my brother Nolan. He started this, uh, the give back, and it was pretty much for, you know, young athletes and, uh, you know, student athletes who you know who really don't have that much and uh you know coming back from home where you know one of my teammates one of my close friends uh started that coming to you know Ohio State and having the opportunity you know I I took it right in because you know you never know what people are going through some people are not are not blessed with the many opportunities you have and to you know to give back it means everything yeah really quickly tell us about the foundation and what it does oh yeah it uh pretty much just said it right there uh it just allows us to you know help uh you know, sort of athletes who don't have, you know, much opportunity as everybody else. So these know, are to, young, I'm sorry, but pay. these are these are young athletes, right? Yes, sir. Non non uh, college athletes, and and yes, you sir. give back yeah. to them. And in, in how how do you how do you go about doing that? Yeah, uh, I mean, every time I have uh, you know some time on my hands to either go to the the little meetings or to you know repost it. You know, I always stay reposting it and you know just show awareness and uh, 
you know, it's, it's a great it's a great foundation, you know, just give back, you know, it means everything. That's always what I wanted to do growing up is, you know, when I have the opportunity to, you know, to give back and, and show support, you know, that was the main thing I wanted to do. Great to hear. Really a pleasure to get to know you a little bit. JT, congratulations on a Thank fabulous you. performance and best of luck here going forward. Thank you. You have a nice day. You do back on Big Ten today and revisiting one of our top stories, that ugly fight in the tunnel between Michigan and Michigan State. Really a, a terrible incident on Saturday night. As I mentioned, both coaches addressed the incident in the last hour while we were on the air. Michigan State has, of course, suspended four players in the week of the incident. Let's listen in on both coaches, starting with Mel Tucker. First and foremost, Michigan State football is about integrity, discipline, unselfishness, toughness, and accountability. The incidents involved a, involving a small group of our players do not represent our culture. I can't imagine that this will not result in criminal charges. The videos are... Uh, are, uh, are bad, and um, it's clear what, what transpired. It seems uh, very, very open and shut. I'm coming from this from a perspective of, uh, of being a parent, and these young men um, are entrusted to me by their families and to our program, and we have the responsibility to each player uh, to treat them like our own, and I take that responsibility very seriously. I don't buy any um, excuse that's going to be laid off on the rivalry or the tunnel or uh, any, any other thing that somebody could possibly blame. These are the actions of, of these individuals, and they need to be accountable for them. Didn't get a whole lot from Mel Tucker there. Obviously, I'm sure he had a lot more to say about it in his news conference. That was the, the excerpt that we had there, but thoughts on on what we heard yeah well I mean Jim Harbaugh is is saying that you know he he thinks that there will be charges yeah. and that there will be some um, police involvement in this and it it's, feels like it's been trending in that direction and what we've seen I, I don't it's hard to disagree yeah um, both coaches took responsibility for you know what their programs are about and what they need to be Mel Tucker on the si other side I should say really understands it's not about the whole Michigan State uh, program this is about a few individuals who decided to be selfish. That's what this comes down to. And, you know, the punishments will, will come swift and it could be legal as well. Should be. Uh, lots more coverage on this, obviously, as the events unfold. As Jim Harbaugh noted, there's criminal investigation going on. And so as more information.